and being somewhat conscientious or attentive as you take your posture so that the very act of settling into your meditation practice is an act of mindfulness beginning to be intentionally conscious, aware and consciously intentional feeling your body lining up your spine feeling how the weight of your body travels down the center of your body from the head to your pelvis feeling where the weight is projected forward or backwards, sideways see if you can get the weight of your torso balanced on your sitting bones often encourage people to take a few long, slow breaths at the beginning of a sitting. But you might think of those deep, slow, long, deep breaths as being kind of an art form rather than a technique. So you're going to kind of maybe ease your way into a long, slow, deep breath as a way of consciously using the inhalation, the expansion of the torso as a way of connecting to your body, reminding yourself this is where you are, here and now. And as you exhale more fully, deeply than usual, did you use that again as a time to consciously, clearly try to let go, relax. Breathing in long, slow, deep breaths. And then don't return quickly to a normal breath, but ease your way back in a conscious, deliberate way, relaxed way. Slowly take a little bit shorter, smaller breaths until you come back to what feels like a normal breath, easy breath. in which you might be breathing at this particular time. The way we breathe is often influenced by the events of the day, our mood, our thoughts, feelings, our energy. 
In whatever way, breathing is fine. Take a few minutes to become consciously aware of how your breathing is. Not to judge it or criticize it, but like you're getting to, getting to know a new friend or an old friend you haven't seen for a long time. Discovering what your breathing is like at this time. And as you feel your breathing, sense your breathing, you might be aware of other ways that you're feeling. You might be aware of your overall mood, or concerns you have, or emotional state, or state of your body. See if you can be very accepting of that, at ease with it. But let your emphasis be on the breath as if the breath is the very center of your universe, center of your life. Everything else can revolve around the breath, on the edges of it, on the periphery. But you keep your place there at the center with the breath, not needing to concern yourself with what's on the periphery enough just to stay breathing in and breathing out in whatever way it is that you're doing right now.
There are many qualities that human beings have to lesser and greater extent. We all share them. I could probably give a very long list of, kind of psychological, spiritual, mental, emotional qualities that we have that are supportive and helpful. To list some of them, they're qualities of generosity, of ethical integrity, of persevering or making effort, of truthfulness, of wisdom, kindness, compassion, capacity for staying calm or equanimous, qualities of inner peace, well-being, happiness, joy, enthusiasm, creativity, and the list goes on and on. What qualities, what inner qualities do you have that you can see as a refuge? That are a refuge, a support for yourself? Something to fall back on in times of difficulty? What inner qualities our support for you.
So, welcome back to our fourth and final day of our class. <coughs> and uh, near the end of the, cl- of the evening, I'll talk a little bit about the ceremony in about ten days or so. And um, But for now, um, I want to talk a little bit about refuges, and then I'd like to uh, for us to uh, have some discussion about the precepts and uh, explore a little bit our understanding of the precepts here today. So, um, sometimes um, the refuges are classified as being of two types. There's the kind of refuge where we associate the refuge with with something external to ourselves. So the Buddha as a human being, the Dharma as teachings or practices which are there somewhere <coughs> out there for us to use, and the Sangha as uh, the community of fellow practitioners, the community of people who are awakened to some degree. Um, but again, it's something outside of us. Um, the other way of understanding the precepts is that they represent qualities that um, are inherent or there are aspects of the Buddha and that our job is to recognize them in ourselves, is to find them in ourselves. So taking refuge in the Buddha is to take refuge in those qualities that make someone a Buddha. Take refuge in the Dharma is to take refuge in the practices that point the way to those qualities or to help develop or enhance or uh, reveal those qualities inside of us. And the Sangha are, is, is those living examples, the examples of people who also have those qualities that the Buddha have, who somehow can be mirrors for us, inspirations for us, pointers to us um, along the way. But the emphasis, again, the second aspect, the way of understanding refuge, has to do with qualities that we have to somehow um, make our own. So it no longer, refuge is no longer become something external in that point of view, but becomes something internal within ourselves. So one of the uh, traditional exercises in Buddhism is to contemplate uh, the qualities of the Buddha. And um, people do it sometimes as a meditation practice. They Somehow they've learned about the Buddha in various ways and, and they contemplate what must be or what are the qualities of his compassion, his, his peace, his uh, generosity, his you know, different, different aspects, different qualities that are there, his mindfulness, his perseverance, his courage, many different things. And um, or, or sometimes to do the same thing with the Sangha, to reflect on the qualities of people who are in the Sangha. So people you know or met or people you've read about or you know, what's the qual what makes that person kind of special or what makes that person an inspiration or what makes that person are there qualities there that speak to you? And um, sometimes there are qualities there that resonate with something inside of ourselves and sometimes we recognize a quality out there and we realize oh, I don't have that. And that is something I'd like to have, I'd like to develop. Um, I remember the first time I saw a, when I was a new Zen student, I was about 21 or something. And um, I was working, um, I, was, I was working with, I was kind of in this office of the Zen priest. And um, he just opened up a, letter from the local community, some, I don't know what it was, some community organization. And um, 
and was uh, asking for some donations for some community project. And uh, he read it, he showed it to me, and, and then he, after I read it, he said, uh, yeah, I'm going to send them X amount of dollars. Just, you know. And I, I was amazed that he would do that. <laughs> I said, why would you do that? Why would you give, you know, send money? It wasn't his money, but you know, why would you, uh, you know, give money to some local community organization? Um, generosity wasn't something that, <clears throat> you know, was much of my vocabulary or something I knew much about. <laughs> and so I remember I was kind of, wow, that's an interesting concept, <laughs> giving money. <laughs> and, um, and that was an important moment for me, this little example of that person, his generosity. So um, I know some people then, uh, when, they, when you're asked, you know, what are the qualities that you have that are a refuge or support? What are your good qualities? Some people rebel. Some people run for the door as soon as that exercise occurs. Some people are, you know, feel like, well, there's nothing there that's good in me. I mean, maybe for other people. It's a, foreign ex- it's a very foreign exercise for some people to try to find their own goodness. In Buddhism, some people are concerned about such an exercise because isn't that selfish or self-preoccupying? Um, and, uh, it's an exercise which in Buddhism is not considered selfish. I think Buddhism is sensitive to selfishness. But it doesn't necessarily assume that recognizing one's own good qualities is a selfish act. Um, it could actually be a very healthy act. It can help us to move towards being more selfless. But to be able to recognize some qualities we have um, and, um, and then appreciate it. And be, think these qualities of our own become stronger as we appreciate them, uh, if you, as we recognize them. If we don't recognize our good qualities, then um, you know, they don't get fed, they don't get nourished, they can't grow. So I spend some time uh, appreciating our good qualities. This is maybe a little bit of a non sequitur, but I read it today. Um, um, there was a Burmese monk named Yusil Ananda who taught, to us, taught here for us a few times. And he, he lived in Half Moon Bay at a Burmese uh, monastery in Half Moon Bay. Lo- lovely, wonderful man. He recently died. And um, a student of his said that um, he asked his teacher, Uslanda, when he was in his 70s, um, how he could be so healthy, because he was very healthy and youth-like and lots of energy. And, and he said, well, you know, um, I'm careful how, what I eat. I eat in moderation. I don't eat too much or too little. And I walk every day, a lot of walking. And, um, and then every day when I meditate, I spent some time uh, scanning my body, doing a body scan, going to all the different parts of the body. When I get to each part of my body, I um, reflect on my appreciation of my, and, and gratitude for that part of my body. <laughs> you know, that, that part of my body has gotten me this far. It's served me so well. And, uh, you know, it's, or, or if it gets to a part of the body which is not doing so well, then he sends it his compassion and his care. You know, may be well, may be healed. And uh, I thought such a beautiful way of treating oneself, you know. You know, and every day he does this, you know. May my knees, you know, my knees, may they be well. <laughs> and um, anyway, so the, the topic is, you know, appreciating one's own qualities. And then, and then taking, having those as a refuge. That's something we can fall back on at, at times when we need to fall back on something. That we can fall back on our, our capacity for, for example, being honest. Um, some months ago, um, there was a woman who came on retreat who told me that she had um, a very, very difficult relationship with her mother. Her mother was very abusive. 
and she um, uh, had spent actually many years having no contact with her mother. But uh, in recent years, she'd kind of, you know, reconciled somewhat and would visit her. It was very difficult to visit her, but she'd go visit her and hang out with her. And then her mother got quite sick and uh, eventually died, but uh, was quite sick. And this daughter was the one who went up and took care of her quite a bit. And her mother was so difficult to be with and so abusive that it was very hard for this woman to be with her mother for extended periods of time. And it was a challenge for her. And she, she said, um, um, but, you know, what I did was I took refuge in the precepts. And that became a refuge for me. So whatever I did, I always tried to at least live by the precepts. So, for example, when I was in the kitchen cleaning up and stuff, I was really diligent in recycling. For her, that was being ethical, following the precepts. I was really, I was really going to do everything you know, carefully so I could really be ethical. And, um, and that was a refuge for her during this time of crisis or difficulty with her mother. So this quality of being ethical, you know, revving it up, uh, cranking it up you know, during times of crisis, that was a very inspiring example, I thought, of someone. So what are your qualities? Is an interesting question. And I hope it's something you ask yourself periodically. So it certainly relates to this idea of going for refuge. Take is, uh, you know, refuge is not only something external, but something internal. And it's calling upon or recognizing or taking um, refuge in something inside of yourself. Now, one of the things that you take refuge inside of ourselves is not just qualities, but also our capacity for practicing. So we could take refuge in our capacity to practice mindfulness, our capacity to practice compassion or loving kindness, our capacity to practice non-reactivity, our capacity you know, to practice with the precepts. For so take refuge in that capacity. So for some people, uh, at times of crisis, they don't know how, what they're going to do, but at least they can take refuge in that uh, they're going to try to do their best to, to, do, to uh, engage in their practice life at that time as opposed to just kind of be in self-pity or be in some kind of despair or confusion. At least I'm going to practice here. And um, the next example I'll give is maybe a very silly example of what I just said, um, but just what comes to mind, so I apologize. Uh, when I was first introduced to um, Vipassana practice in Thailand, I did a long retreat, um, 10 weeks long. And near the end of that time, I don't know why, but um, my teacher invited me to go with him to a funeral in Bangkok of some wealthy Thai general. And uh, so I went along. And um, funeral parlors for Thai generals, wealthy Thai generals, at least this one, was amazingly glitzy. You know, it's just amazing stuff. And this was a long extended kind of funeral event happening from, and um, all in Thai which I didn't know a word of and I was getting more and more bored <laughs> and they'd like to be back in the monastery meditating you know what am I doing here and then it occurred to me well you know I could always try to be mindful and so then I started engaging my mindfulness and started being mindfully attentive to what was happening for me in, in that experience and the boredom vanished, just like that, because boredom is just a, you know, boredom is an activity of the mind. And if you engage the mind a different way, you won't be bored. 
So, um, so I took refuge in the mindfulness, and that's the only little example, in doing the practice. So, um, one of the things people traditionally do when they go for refuge is they also take the precepts. They, um, almost any time there's a ceremony in the Theravadan Buddhism, there are uh, three almost universal elements in that ceremony, almost any kind of ceremony. And they're the cer- elements that we'll use for the refuge ceremony is kind of the key elements. One is um, paying respect to the Buddha, the chant Namo Tassa Bhagavato Aharato Sama Sambuddhasa. The second is um, chanting the refuges, and that's usually done three times, because if you do it three times, then you really mean it. Or, or, or if you say it three times, then it can really sink in. And I know sometimes in the beginning of my contact with Buddhism, we did these things three times, you know, by this, you know, halfway through the second time I was getting bored. You know, we just did it. Why are we doing it again? <laughs> you know, I got the message, you know, let's get on to more things here. But, uh, but what I found is that by doing it over and over again, that repetition, and if you relax with the repetition, it allows uh, something to sink in, allows to go in deeper, allows for some reflection to happen, some emotional relationship to it. And so anyway, it's done, usually done three times. And then um, there's the taking of the precepts, reciting the precepts. So the respect to the Buddha, refuges, and the precepts. And for the refuge ceremony, the precepts are uh, kind of an integral uh, element of it all, and taking the precepts. Um, it's kind of hard to imagine Buddhist practice without the precepts. In Zen, they say the precepts are the blood vein of the Buddhas. It's the you know the veins in which the you know to nourish the life of the Buddha is the precepts. And um, so. Um, so then each of you need to have, needs to have some relationship to the precepts. The precept of not killing, not taking what is not given, no illicit or inappropriate sexuality, no uh, lying, and no intoxication. Those are the, the five precepts. So you need to have some relationship to those. And as I talked about last week, um, someone already asked me today, well, you know, I can't, I'm not sure about this because I'm not vegetarian because maybe if you're really strict about not killing, you would be a vegetarian. And certainly some people take it that way. Um, and some people, I know a lot of Buddhists who are not vegetarians. So uh, I don't know what goes into their considerations. But it's for each person to figure out for themselves, what is this? What, what, what do I mean when I take this precept? What am I vowing to do? What am I kind of, what's my commitment that I'm making here? And, um, you know, maybe it's... <laughs> I'm not going to eat meat on Sunday, <laughs> on Friday, or something. Um, you know, you know, it's, it's some kind of, or maybe, you know, I'm not going to, um, you know, you have to understand what, what is the commitment you're making, because what I'd like to do here is to have these precepts uh, have meaning for you in the way that you want, works for you. And if you want to do it in a very strong, kind of strict way, um, and it's, you're doing it that wisely, you can do it unwisely, but if you do it in a wise way, then I'm all for it. But if you have some other way that you want to engage in it that's meaningful for you, um, this ceremony here is to help you acknowledge and support you in the kind of commitment that you want to have. So you need to kind of reflect then, what, how, what's your relationship to this, these precepts? And um, one of them uh, that's very common in Buddhism 
is that the commitment to the precepts that doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean that um, you're terrible if you break them. What it means is that um, if you do break one of the precepts, then uh, you're going to look at that very seriously. You can investigate and understand what happened, look at yourself, and then see if you can renew your, your commitment to try to do better next time. So to use the, your ways in which you fall short in the precepts as inspirations or encouragements to do better in the future. Tendency in Buddhism is not to, re, not to uh, get caught up in, in guilt, but rather to be, I don't know if caught up is the right word, but more, more concerned, be ra- not, not ra- rather than being caught up in guilt, which is backward looking, uh, the emphasis is to be forward looking to see how can I do better in the future. Based on, and we don't want to ignore what happened, so based on what I learned from what happened, based on what happened here, how can I do better in the future? So, uh, I thought it would be very nice if each of you uh, could have some time to talk about uh, your thoughts about the precepts, your relationship to it, uh, what it means for you, what you would like it to mean for you, uh, how you'd like to incorporate uh, the precepts uh, more fully into your life, or what you'd like it to mean as you go into the ceremony uh, a week from Friday. And the way I thought it might be nice to do it is uh, if you would pair up with someone and uh, here. So you have kind of one-on-one conversation about this topic. And maybe, um, maybe um, you can take maybe four or five minutes, each of you, just talk. It doesn't have to be a one-way conversation exactly, but the first four or five minutes, one of you gets mostly about one person talking about it. And the second one who's listening can ask questions or engage somehow. But then uh, wait for your turn until after the second five minutes and talk about your relationship to the precepts. So you take about, you know, some, somewhere like eight, ten minutes between the two of you to talk. And then um, the last five minutes or so, you can just have a more open conversation to see where the conversation might go. Is that um, understandable? Very clear? So um, it would be helpful, I think, if each of you, each group, each pair would uh, time yourself. So maybe the person who's listening can be responsible for timing. Maybe do, maybe do five minutes each so the whole group is doing the same thing. So five minutes if one person talks, and five minutes the other person talks, and then five minutes of a conversation. And, um, okay, so please.